Hi, everybody. This is Cynthia Barnes back with another episode of Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes, where you know that I interview those who inspire me, who motivate me, who happen to be women in sales making things happen. And today I have the distinct pleasure, honor, and most humbling experience of interviewing Casey Jones. As a leading thought leadership and growth coach, Casey empowers resilient entrepreneurs to build powerful personal brands that grow their businesses. As founder of A Better Jones, she coaches entrepreneurs, early stage startup founders, and ambitious business professionals to define the vision for their future, tap into their unique strengths, and create the fastest path towards business growth. Casey, welcome. How are you? Cynthia, I am honored to be here. I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Me too. Me too. I have been following you on LinkedIn, interacting with your posts, and lately you've given me pause to think about the strength and resilience that it takes to overcome some of the life's challenges that we all face. So thank you for that. Thank you for being that beacon of light in the dark room that some of us are going through. Thank you for saying that I can be. It means the absolute world to me. In one of your latest LinkedIn posts, you talk about a year later of a tragedy that you faced. Tell us about that. Yeah. So just a year ago, I was attacked by a dog and it was a long story, but it was my dog. We had rescued this dog. Very, very unique set of circumstances. We didn't actually rescue him. A friend did and then asked us to take care of him. And two years later, we still had him. And he had a really, really awful past. And it was pandemic. I was home alone. And my other dog started barking and I could tell this dog was going to go after her. So I got my dog out the back door. And for the first time since we'd had him, you could just tell the the switch had been flipped and he was going to attack. And I was the only one there. And so he went after me instead and I fought like hell. And at some point I realized I was not going to get out on my own. And let me be clear. I'm not a small woman. I'm six feet tall. He was a 110 pound dog. So he's, he was huge, but I managed to get the, the door, the side door to my house open. And I started to scream for help and thank God for the pandemic because everyone was home. And my neighbors heard my my cries and they saved my life. And I truly thought I was going to die. And I spent, what, four days in the hospital, had fairly extensive surgery, but I am still here. And as, as strange as it must sound, and I would not wish this experience on anyone, but it it wound up being a real blessing for me because like you like you said, you know, so many of us go through hard things, but I had spent most of my life, I was taught the, the muddle through model of getting through hard things. You just stiff upper lip, you keep on moving forward and you don't really think about it. And this was the first time where I gave myself the time and the permission and the space to actually heal and what wound up happening is I healed from all the other traumas in my life because I finally gave myself the time and the space to do it. 
And so it wound up being this deeply healing experience for me. When you're talking about this, all I can think is courage. Courage. Because most people, when faced with seemingly insurmountable obstacles, turn to substances, turn to food, turn to some type of habit to ease the pain, to dull the pain because they don't want to sit in the pain. You chose to sit and heal. And that takes courage. Where did you get that courage from? You know, it's interesting. I asked my therapist that question. So I I recently read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's going to be a tough read. It's, it's written by a man, Bessel van der Kolk, who's like the expert on trauma. And reading the book, what kept coming up for me was I was shocked at how I was able to recover from this experience as fast as I was. And reading the book made me realize that a big part of it was because, you know, one of the things that that dictates how hard it is for us to recover from trauma is our own role, our own self-agency in kind of getting out of the situation. And I realized that something that was very helpful for me was that I I needed help, but I cried for help and I got it. And so I, I got to play this, this part in my own saving. And I asked my therapist and I said, you know, for years, for probably 15 years, I had a recurring nightmare that I was being attacked and I tried to scream and no sounds would come out. So I asked my therapist, I said, how did I do this? And he looked at me and he said, Casey, there is one decision that you have made that started this process of you being able to save yourself. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I'm divorced and I was in a very, very unhealthy, very toxic marriage. And my therapist looked at me and he said, the day you decided to leave your marriage and start to put yourself first was the day you started to be able to save yourself. Leaving a marriage is not easy. No. What was the catalyst that made you say, I choose me? It's, I don't, I'm, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's, so you know how we have these experiences in life where all of a sudden it'll dawn on you. And I remember it was actually my wedding anniversary and my ex-husband's parents were in town and we all went out to dinner and I'd had a really tough day. I have a degenerative neurological disease. It's genetic. I've had it my entire life. And I had gone to the doctor for it that day and I'd had a really, really terrible doctor's visit. So I was really upset. Mm -hmm. We went out to dinner And I remember, I don't even remember what we were talking about. And I tried to sort of chime in and add my two cents to a conversation. And my ex-husband shushed me because the men were talking. Oh, my. And I remember looking across the table at my mother-in-law. And she gave me this look of like, it's okay. We're in this together. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I cannot wind up being like her. Yeah. That was your future. That was my future. And that was the beginning of the end. And it's, I think this is the thing that no one prepares us for in life is that really hard decisions 
often start from very small realizations. You know, we often think that big things come from big events. Yeah. And oftentimes it's actually, it's, you know, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And our instinct often is to be like, oh, no, 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 that's, it's just one thing. It's not that big of a deal. And, but when we can really pay attention to ourselves and to what, to what our body and our heart and our souls are telling us, sometimes it's really small things that tell us everything we need to know about really big things. Give me an example. Okay. So when recovering from the dog attack, I remember, so my second night in the hospital, I'd had surgery that day and I'd fallen asleep. And, you know, in the hospital, they come into your room a million times in the middle of the night and I'd fallen asleep. And then they came into my room at maybe one o'clock in the morning and I woke up and I couldn't go back to sleep. And I remember not being able to go back to sleep because I couldn't stop crying. And I remember feeling this instinct that I needed to send a message to my therapist and let him know what was going on. And I started, you know, my hands were covered in bandages. My arms are covered in bandage. I, I couldn't text. And so I remember thinking, pulling out my phone and trying to figure out how I was going to send this message. And then all of a sudden thinking, you know what, this would be weird for me to send a message at night. I really shouldn't do this. And all of a sudden it just dawned on me where I thought the fact that I am struggling to send a message while I'm going through a really, really hard time is the sign for me that I absolutely have to send the message. And I really didn't want to, but there was something about the fact that I was resisting asking for help in this way that told me that that was exactly what I needed to do. And that's why I wound up speaking out publicly about what I was going through the next day, because I realized that if it was this hard the day after for me to reach out and ask for help from my psychiatrist, my therapist, I just knew that every day that I waited, it was going to be 10 times harder. I was going to convince myself that I was doing better and that I could get through it. And if I couldn't ask for help when I was desperate for it, I just knew in my bones that it would be harder and harder and harder the longer I waited. And so I forced myself to start talking about it almost immediately. And it's the best decision that I made for me. The stories that we tell ourselves, oh, it's nothing oh, it's okay, sweep it under the rug, you'll get over it. Those can have life-changing consequences. And look, I also think it's, it's the resilient and it's also the optimistic among us that are the worst at that. Because here's the deal, we play, I love that Brene Brown created this term, we play the game of comparative suffering, where we say, well, other people have it so much worse. So who am I to complain? I really should just be grateful for what I have. Right. And yes, it's beautiful to be grateful. It's, it is. But when we discount our own pain and our own grief and our own suffering in order to somehow, I don't know, not minimize the suffering of someone else, all it does is it keeps us in that, it keeps us stuck. Why do you think... Women talk to themselves so horribly at times. 
We say things to ourselves that we wouldn't say to our worst enemy. We are awful to ourselves. We are. We are absolutely awful to ourselves, even when we are so incredibly kind to others. Yes. And I will tell you, one of the the best decisions that I made also while healing from this, you know, I've always been a fairly sort of practical person. And I started started getting a little bit more woo-woo, let's be real, during all of this. And I also started a practice of, I would listen to, they have all these videos on YouTube of positive affirmations. Yes. And I remember thinking they were a little bit silly. When you have, I turned 39 in a little less than a month. When you have 39, 38 years of being epic levels of negative self-talk, like we gotta, we've got to train ourselves to shift that. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's, I, I started doing the positive affirmations and I started to feel amazing. And no joke, a week ago, I was realizing that I was starting to feel anxious in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. I was starting to focus on, on things that weren't going right in my life and focus less on big picture. I was losing faith in what I was building and what I was doing. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. I was like, oh, I haven't done my positive affirmations in a while. And last week I woke up a little early. I got in a better workout than I had in the morning in a while. And I listened to those positive affirmations. And the moment it ended, I had two of the best, most creative ideas I've had for my business. And I don't even know how long. And I was like, oh, that's right. When I feel really good, magical things happen. And I don't, if there is one thing that I think like unites women and it's the worst, but it's, we are terrible to ourselves. We are. You mentioned earlier being stuck. How do you know when you're stuck? Okay. So this has taken a long time for me to learn. For me, there's a couple of things that show up for me when I am stuck. One is like I mentioned, I lose sight of the big picture and I get mired in short-term thinking. So, and I used to, it used to be much more dramatic when I was younger. I would miss out on or screw up really big opportunities because I'd convince myself that I I had to deal with short-term things first. But I've just learned that when I'm losing sight of big picture in order for short-term stuff, that that's a sign for me. Another sign for me is, you know, it's the spinning, it's the spinning my wheels. It's the doing, 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 but not feeling like I'm going anywhere. And I think the biggest thing for me is I hide. Mm. I am classic lone wolf. And I have now learned that if I am really lone wolfing it, it's because I am, I'm stuck somewhere in my life. And I'm afraid to reach out and talk to someone like there's some, there's something that I am resisting. And so I get insular, I get isolated and I start to lose my sense of self as a result. How do you get unstuck? I think the biggest thing for me is I remind myself of the vision that I actually have for my life. And one thing that I've learned and I especially see this. So I coach entrepreneurs and I've noticed those of us that are dealing with trauma responses, 
And I'll clarify what I mean by that in just a second. But those of us that are dealing with trauma responses often really, really struggle to have a vision for the big picture. You'll ask people that are clearly ambitious, clearly hardworking, people that impress you. And you'll be like, what do you want in three years? And they'll have no freaking clue. And I think that that is, that is those of us that have basically been taught that we're always in survival mode. So you can't really think long-term you're in getting through it now mode. And the biggest thing, the biggest aha that I've learned going through this whole experience is that there's two major classifications of trauma. Okay. And so there's, there's big T like capital T trauma, and that's getting attacked by a dog. It's being in war. It's, it's life or death. It's what we think of when we hear the word trauma. Mm-hmm. And then there is little T trauma and little T trauma. Guess what? Like we've all been through this. It's your parents kind of neglecting you when you were a kid. Not, you're not necessarily getting beaten. You're not, not really abused. You're just kind of ignored. Or maybe you're bullied a little bit as a kid. It might be chronic health issues. It might be a toxic work environment. It might be fertility issues. It's the stuff that most of us go through at one point or another, but it's also the stuff that because it's a little every day, we convince ourselves that we're doing okay and we're fine and we can get through it and we don't really need to deal with it. It's the stuff where we're like, well, it could be so much worse. Yes. And so we adopt these trauma behaviors and these trauma responses, and we don't even realize that that's what we're doing. And so something I see all the time with women, especially, I have a good friend of mine, we were talking and she was like, oh, you know, she's talking about just how overwhelmed she is in her work and in her business. And and I was like, you need help. You need to hire some help. She's like, well, I can't do that. It's just my personality. I have to do everything myself. Hmm. And I was like, that's not your personality. Like that's your trauma response. And like we teach ourselves that like being really cynical or being really negative. Oh, that's just my personality or being a people pleaser. Oh, it's just my, no, that is our conditioned behavior. And it's something we have the right to heal from. So you mentioned a toxic relationship, your marriage Mm -hmm. before the dinner with your mother with your in-laws and your husband. Yeah. What were some other signs of the toxicity? Because I'm sure that there are toxic work environments, there are toxic friendships, there are toxic marriages. What were those signs that you chose to ignore? Classic one. And it's funny. I just, I just saw a TikTok video about the same thing where they were talking about it's the, when you start to feel like you need to record every conversation you're having. So what would happen for me is I was always in trouble. In our marriage, I was always in trouble. I was always doing something wrong or something that upset him. Always. Like I could do no right. And what would wind up happening is I would, something would happen where like he would do something where I finally thought, oh my God, I've got, I've, I've got a thing I can argue with him about like, no, 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 this is his fault. And I would like feel so confident about it and feel like I finally have, I can finally kind of voice why I'm upset. And within three minutes of the conversation, I would be apologizing. 
Wow. And that is more common than I think people realize. I agree. I hear that. And, and I know that that happens in work environments also, right? Where you feel like you're kind of starting to go crazy because you think you're doing things in the right way. You think you're showing up and as a, you know, as who you want to be, and yet it's always going wrong. Do you think that those who are willing to accept and place blame on themselves for the going wrong can ever get to a point where they say, you know what, it's not me. Because what I find with women is we will internalize and say, this situation is not right. It's my fault. They may not say it's my fault in so many words. They may say, you know what, what's my role in this? And I did this and I did that. Yes, their behavior was bad, but ultimately I take a look at myself and I absorb the blame for it. Oh, and then I apologize. This is what we do. We always internalize it. We always have, we always, and we often, even when we know it's not us, we're willing to be the bigger person to move on from it. And all we're doing is, even though we think we're not, we are absorbing that. And I think this is why I think that what you have done and are doing with NAWSP is so incredibly important because you know how we get through this is we align ourselves with other women. So when we have a tough conversation or a toxic relationship with someone, work-wise or otherwise, we can go to another woman and be like, hey, I need a sanity check here. I need a gut check here. This is what is happening. Am I reading this wrong? Am I doing this wrong? What do you recommend? Because we are way better at catching what is happening to someone else than we are at catching what is happening to us. Yes, we are. We are because we can see objectively, whereas when you're in it, you're looking through the lens of trauma response, of insecurity, of uncertainty, get an outside opinion of someone and you've got to be careful because misery loves company. Yes. I have learned that you've got to get advice from someone whom you trade places with. Someone who has what you want, or someone who has a vested interest in whether or not you are successful. Yeah. And you nailed it. It's someone who you would trade places with. It's really interesting. For a little while, I had a mentor, a man, but I had a mentor who was very supportive of me and we became very close. But I realized later that he was always unhappy and always negative and always complaining. And I started to realize I don't, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to take his advice because I don't want to have that. I don't want, I don't want that attitude. And so we have to look also of like, how do they approach their life? But I think it's having other women who have maybe been through similar things, who have been there before us, who, who have our back. Yes. It makes all the difference in the world. It does. It does. And Something you said in the beginning of our conversation, having the courage to speak up and say something. There have been countless times, and I am guilty of this, that I will suffer in silence. 
I will say to myself, what's your role, Cynthia? Could you have done anything differently? And by the time I'm done, I have taken all the blame Mm -hmm. and said what they did was in the beginning offensive and wrong. But if I look at my own role, I'm the one to blame. Yeah. That leads to a life of not standing in our power and not standing in our truth. Not only does it lead to that role in our life, but I think we always forget that when we are willing to speak out about those things, the impact that we could have on others. And one of the things, so it's interesting, people all the time now assume that I am someone that has always been comfortable talking about deeply personal things in public. No, 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 no. I promise. (laughs) And it's very interesting. So that same story that I told you of having that really tough doctor's appointment and then that dinner with my in-laws. Afterwards, I was so upset about that doctor's visit and it was, I just felt compelled that I needed to get it out of me. And I wrote a blog post about it. And this is like in the days when Medium was a thing. I was still on Facebook back then. Oh my goodness, so long ago. And I wound up writing this blog post. I think I called it, I have a disease I don't talk about, but I think I'm going to start. And I wrote it because I needed to get it out. I was really upset. My, My husband at the time was clearly not being very supportive. And so I wrote this whole story of what I was going through. And I posted it on Facebook and I assumed no one would read it. And I probably got 60 private messages from people saying, oh my God, I had no idea. I'm going through something really similar and I don't talk about it either. And that was the first time where I realized, oh, when we share hard things, the response is not, oh, you're weak or, oh, what a whiner. The response is, oh my God, you're so courageous. Thank you. Yes. And we women... And especially when we're not just starting our career out, we have this ability to share the stories and share what we have been through and what we are going through so that someone else who's just coming up or who is, who is a couple steps behind can say, oh, whoa, I look up to you and you went through that? Yeah. Whoa, I'm going through something similar. I had no idea. I thought I was all alone. And so, yeah, we have a responsibility to ourselves, but let's be real. We're not great at honoring that responsibility. We're a lot better at honoring the responsibility we have to all the other women out there who are going through similar things and who us being willing to share the story and speak out is a lifeline. Yes, absolutely. I think we have much more power than we give ourselves credit for. Heck yeah. The power to change lives, the power to influence. Someone else is going through what you went through yeah. in discovering them their, their courage and their strength. Someone else, and and I hope that you hear me when I say this, audience, if you are ready to throw in the towel, hold on. Just hold on. Promise me that for 24 hours, you will hold on to that towel. There have been people I know that have that towel and they throw in the towel and God throws it back. There are people I know that have thrown in the towel and it's a permanent option 
to a temporary problem. Yeah. We are here to listen. So you call me, you, you email me, and I'm sure Casey is the same. Yep. You don't have to suffer in silence. Send me a voice message on LinkedIn. Send Casey one. There is no reason in the world why anyone has to go through a traumatic experience by themselves. Yeah. And don't think, and I know it's common, you think, I have no one to listen. They're not going to understand me. They don't want to hear my problems. That's not true. Mm -mm. That is not true. We would much rather listen to your problems than to mourn you at a funeral. Yep. And that's how deep this is. I know that this conversation is supposed to be aspirational and motivational, but what my heart is telling me is that somebody who is listening needs to hear hope. And let me tell you, this experience, the amazing thing about this experience for me, the people that did the most for me are people that there's four women in particular five women in particular who did the absolute most for me in the days after this attack. All of them I met during either online on LinkedIn or at B2B sales events. None of them had I spent more than a half dozen times with. And they pulled together and made sure groceries were delivered to my house every single week constantly called me, made sure I was okay. I mean, these are people that like, these were not my oldest friends. I love my oldest friends. Don't get me wrong. They were there, but not in the way these women were like, this is the thing we think that it's like, you know, I went to three colleges in three years in three different states, not colleges, high schools, three high schools, three states, three years. I had, I have no friends from high school. I also went to a weird college. I have almost no friends from college. I look at people that have these like friends where they've been friends for like 30 years. I don't have that. I have never had that. And it always used to make me feel so alone and like such a loser. Forget that. We can find people who are incredibly supportive on freaking LinkedIn. Yes. You know, like we can create our own community in ways that we never thought that we could. And they are people that will absolutely show up in ways that will surprise you. Yes. And if there is one community that is more outrageously like that than any other, it is women in sales. Yes. We are amazing. Yeah. I mean, forces to be reckoned with and all know what it's like to feel alone. I don't know a single woman in sales who hasn't been like the only woman on their team and felt totally alone. Right. And so there is just something about this community and this group that if you reach out, people will go to bat. They will do whatever they can to support you. And I know it can feel terrifying to make that first move, but Cynthia mm -hmm. is absolutely right. We're the gateway drug to like, you know, your online women community, like, let us know and we will do whatever we can and make introductions, but know that like, it is never too late to find your people. Yeah. Never too late. Never too late. 
and there are more women out there like the women in sales community, like you mentioned, who will stop what they're doing and help, whether it's delivering groceries to, to someone they just met to make sure that, you know, just the coordination of making sure that you had groceries every week. We're busy. We've got families and they took the time to make sure that you ate. If you want something to get done, ask a busy woman. Right. Right. (laughs) Because she, she gets stuff done. She gets stuff done. I love that story. What is the one thing that you want people to know about you? I guess I think people sometimes they know that I've been through hard things, but they think sometimes that the way I show up now came easily. Mm. And here's a deal. Like it's always been hard and I was good at making things look, I don't know, more seamless and like I had more figured out long before I did. I am the definition of a late bloomer. I didn't start to figure out, I didn't start to have any freaking clue who I was or what I wanted until my late thirties. And I used to feel really self-conscious about that. And now I kind of wear it like a badge of honor because I know that so many of us, that's the story. That is so true. If you had asked me in my 20s what I want to be when I grow up, I would have said, that's an excellent question. Why do you ask? (laughs) If you had asked me in my 30s, I would have said something similar. There is no time stamp or timeline on success. There's no date. It doesn't expire. It's there for you. It's not broccoli. It's not going to rot. Success is there for you. You just have to be patient and work toward it. Yeah. And you grow into the success that you have. You may not even know what it looks like. Go ahead. No, that's it. You grow into it. You we think it just it. Like magically happens or you have an aha and it all. No, it's yeah. this constantly evolving process. Exactly. It's, it's not like the heavens open up and say, here is your purpose. They don't do that. They don't. If people say, you know, what is my purpose? How do I find it? No, the process is you continue to grow and evolve and give back and you will find your purpose. You will grow into it, but your purpose is not the end destination. It's who you become through finding your purpose. That is the goal, right? That's it. And I think that's the other thing, right? It's oftentimes, you know, what I always encourage people to do is think about the kind of person you want to become Mm -hmm. and kind of reverse engineer that, right? So way too often we're making decisions based on who we used to be or things Mm -hmm. we learned years ago, instead of making decisions based on who we want to be. Yes. So when you think about, and you might not have most of it figured out, but if you think about, okay, in three to five years, these are the kinds of people I want to hang out with, the kinds of things I want to be doing, the, the, how I want to feel. Okay, what, is, what does their day look like? Mm-hmm. Who, what conversations are they having? Who are they hanging out with? How are they showing up in the world? What books are they reading? Right. Like we can, we can step into our future self. Mm-hmm. But we have to be forward looking. Yes. Yes. Success leaves clues. 
And just like you said, if you find someone who has, who is what you want to be, then emulate Mm. the parts of them that you like and leave the rest. You can take parts from Casey, parts from Cynthia, parts from Cece, parts from Don, and you can create the person that you want to be. Your past is done. But when you look forward, you can create the life of your dreams and create the person that you want to be. So start by asking yourself, who do I want to be? Mm. Not what do I want to have? And you've done that, Casey. You've taken some of the most horrific and traumatic experiences I've ever heard one person have. And you have created, you are creating because you are a work in progress. And I still see that work and you're not done yet. I am never going to be done. None of us are ever going to be done. No, no, no. You keep getting better. You keep getting stronger and you pull people along with you to help you and whom you can help. And to me, that's the definition of unstoppable. Hmm. Where did you get that resilience, that bounce back ability, that mindset that I'm not there yet and I'm not done? Cynthia, let's be honest, a lot of therapy. (laughs) Okay. And truly, I mean, it's, I don't, I can't, I can't name one thing. Okay. It, It has always been a constant striving for more. And let me tell you, I have made so many bad decisions along the way. I have felt so lost for so much of it, but I have always felt like there is more. And here's the thing. Almost all of us have that in us. Almost everyone I know. And I think it is probably everyone that I know. Some are just better at hiding it, but we all know that there is more out there. Yes. And it's just the willingness to keep trying. And sometimes it's the tiniest amount and sometimes it's shooting for the moon. And most of the time it's somewhere in between, but it's basically recognizing that this is a really, really, really long race that we're running. This is a Mm -hmm. ultra marathon, not a sprint. And so it's one step at a time. And I will say one other thing. I've also learned it is always after the worst periods that we have the most growth. And so if when you are in the suck, if you can have a moment of knowing that the growth is going to happen after, it gets just a little bit easier to deal with. But sometimes when you're in that suck, the pain is almost debilitating. And as someone who has experienced that pain, physical, emotional, spiritual, how do you find the strength to even say it will get easier? I think when you're in the middle of it, sometimes it's not even thinking about that. It's figuring out how you get through the next moment. That's fair. And there's something that can feel empowering about getting through it one moment at a time. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Nobody said life was going to be easy. No, no. And if they did, they were really, really lying. Really (laughs) lying. Yes. It's not easy, but it is beautiful. It is. And when you have someone to go through it with you, Mm -hmm. 
it helps. So please, as my mother says, do not be an island. Mm -hmm. Find a tribe. Yes. Find your tribe. Yes. Casey, I know that our listeners are going to want to stay in touch with you. How do they find you? So you can find me on absolutely any social platform. It's always at a better Jones. Send me a message. Connect in any way. I am always, always thrilled to connect with people. Always thrilled to help where I can. And always thrilled to add another person to my tribe. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are an absolute force and you bring such a light to this world and this community. And it's such an honor to have a conversation with you. I received that and I'm grateful. Thank you so much, Casey. Everyone, this has been Cynthia Barnes with Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes and the lovely, inspirational, motivational, and the most courageous woman I know, Casey Jones. Casey, thank you for pouring into us today. Thank you, Cynthia.